We are also in the middle of 21 days of prayer. You know, I was thinking when Jerome was leading us through that moment of silence that for many of us, maybe it's true for you, that that one minute might be the only minute of silence you get all week. And there's something sacred about silence, right? Like one of the things when you become a parent is you start to recognize how sacred silence is, right? Like I, I can like I hear the moms like if I could just get a minute to go to the bathroom, you know, like you're on the bathroom and it's like, mom, <laughs> right? Like there's something sacred about silence, isn't there? And I laugh with you about that one, but the truth is that there's so much noise and so much distraction in your life that when you come to church, we want this to be an oasis for you. We want this to be a place where you can step out of the world and into the presence of God, who we know to be very, very real. As we jump into our text for today, I want to start with this quote from St. Augustine, who said this, our hearts... We're made for you, O Lord. Think about that. Our hearts were made for you, our Lord, and they are restless until they rest in you. I challenged all of us last week to commit to be in the spirit. And we walked a little bit through what it, what does it look like to be led by the spirit, to have the spirit of God with us, and I really just wanted to inspire you to pray. Just anything, just spend time with the Lord because you will be restless until you rest in Him. And so today my hope is just simply to take one more step in that direction. One more step toward praying. And I want to begin with this question. I want it to just be on the screen for you because I want you to just Process it with me for a second to just think it through. And it's this. What happens when you pray? I think a lot of times we we talk through the the big side, the macro level prayer. Like we come to church and we see people and we say, hey, how you doing? And, and maybe they tell you, maybe they don't. Maybe they just throw out the obligatory. I'm good. You're like, I know you're not good. <laughs> like we just it just comes out for me. Right. Like, I'm great. You're like, no, like, my wife, like no, you're not <laughs> like the people who know us. Right. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place. But I think the same is true for pray. We say, man, I'm, I'll pray for you. What does that mean? What, what happens when you go home and and you do want to pray? What happens when you pray? Like what physically takes place when you pray? Because the landscape of prayer is beautiful, by the way. If I was just to name a few things that we could talk about, that we don't have time to talk about all these today, but just to put them out on the table for you to think through all the different ways you could be praying, we could talk about prayer posture, adoration, confession, intercession, petition, participation, evangelism, silence, solitude, persistence, unceasing prayer, and even how to address God. Are you father? Are you son? Are you spirit? Like, I'll never forget the first time somebody was like, hey, you can just pray directly to the Holy Spirit because he is God. It was like, like changed my whole life. And so obviously we don't have time for all of that. And 
I would love to point you in the direction of some things that you could do that. So please feel free to see me after church or send me an email. It's very easy. Mitch at RedeemerTampa.com. Would love to point you in that direction. I've got lots of recommendations for you. But for now, I want to talk about what I perceive to be one of the most overlooked aspects of the power of prayer that God offers to you and I. Now, that's a big statement. That's a big claim, right? That there's an aspect of prayer that gets overlooked even in the church. And I want to look at a a text that will help us and remind us of that obvious but often overlooked aspect of our prayer life. And it's written by Paul. St. Paul wrote two letters to a church in a city called Thessalonica. It's a, a place in the Middle East. And there's two letters in your Bible that go to them, First and Second Thessalonians. And while I believe with all my heart that the Bible is inspired by God and trustworthy, miraculous and errant, very traditional orthodox things, which you may or may not agree with. And we could talk about that and I'd be fine with that. But though I believe that what I think is true is we often overlook the humanity of the Bible as well, that God chose to give us his words and his message through people that were very much like you and I. And we don't have time to unpack Paul's story either today, but it would be worth your time because Paul experienced firsthand the transformation that God can bring. But God chose to breathe his word through the quill of Paul's pen was a guy who hated Christians was transformed, and he was writing to a group of people that were confused about how to live their faith in their cultural moment. The ESV Study Bible, which is great, offers three reasons, and I think they're worth your consideration today, as to why he wrote Second Thessalonians to this group of people. So he sends them a letter, and then he felt the need to write them another one. And the three reasons that are offered are this, and I think it's important for us just to set the context of why we're going to look at what we're going to look at. He wrote for these three reasons. Number one, they were terrified that the day of the Lord had come. When you read through scripture, maybe even you dabble your foot in Revelation and you start reading about dragons and things like dragons. And what was it? Was it a what was it? And it's like there's heads and eyes and crowns and beasts and Pits and lakes of fire and like all the things like you start reading that like they were legitimately afraid that the day of the Lord was here. So there was a group that was afraid of that. Number two, they were facing unremitting persecution. Jesus himself said, if you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. Like that's an aspect of our faith that you can't actually run away from. That if you follow Jesus, who is love, you will still find that people hate you. That they won't agree with you. And that's a reality that we accept. And so that was a second reason. But then the third reason, and this is why I say sometimes we miss the humanity of it. But the third reason he writes the letter is that there were some Christians in that church refusing to earn their own living. They were freeloading off the people of God. And don't you just love the breadth and width of this letter? 
Like, is that not how real is that? Right. That he would write a letter. The day of the Lord is here. We're going to die. Are we saved? But don't you dare ask me for money. (laughs) Right. Like the humanity of that. Right. Like wrestling with the unseen world, but also with the seen world. And isn't that true for you? Like you walked in here today and you have very present physical realities and needs that need to be met. That are tangible and right in front of you. And yet on the other hand, you're like, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to see a move of God. I need you, Holy Spirit, to move in my life, to move in my kids life, to move in our church's life. We want all the things right. But it is co-mingled for sure. Like that's the world we live in. And so this is very real. And what I want you to see is what Paul's. What God's encouragement to those Christians living in that moment where it was not popular to be a Christian. What did Paul say to them? Better, what did Paul pray over them? What was he calling them to? I love this text in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. Did I give you the right verses? Verses. I may, I may have given you the wrong verses, but we're going to go anyway. The Bible says this, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. So this is the end. This is the end, right? The coming of the Lord. And so Paul's referencing that. Paul's saying when that happens, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. Because our testimony was to you who believe. So he's just he's just acknowledging like that day is going to come, but it has not come. And so you're still going to live this life. And then he's and then he says, in light of that, here's what's coming to this end. Paul says, we always pray for you. We'd be pretty normal to just gloss past that. To just, great, he's an apostle and he's going to pray for this church. Great. But as you start to unfold the letters that Paul writes to all of the churches that he wrote to, you start to recognize the very detailed prayer list that he has for each one of these churches, for each one of these people. As a matter of fact, in almost every letter, he names a lot of people by name. What is going on there? Look at what he says. He says, to this end, we always pray for you. What? That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So follow it. Because Jesus will come again, and he hasn't yet, but since he is coming, pray. Pray. Notice that it isn't just an aimless call to prayer. There's a very specific thing. I love what he says. He says, we always pray this for you. We always pray this in light of the most important concern, right? That God's coming again and what happens when he comes. In light of that greatest concern, the coming of the Lord, Paul is always praying for them. 
I believe one of the most neglected aspects of the Christian life in at least our 21st century United States of American context is this. Because it's one of the most beneficial and most powerful is this. Just that we would simply pray for each other. Think about it. Think about like just just in this room. If the people around you knew you well enough to pray for you specifically about what you were going through and you knew they were going to and you knew God would show up. But we don't do that. Most of the time we don't do that. The people sitting in this room right now are after the same things in life that you are. But in an increasingly flattened age that's robbed of its significance. There is a God outside of time writing the story of time. And he's invited you to be a part of that. But look at the three specific prayers that Paul prays. Just real quick. Number one, that God would make them worthy of the calling. So there's this calling. But we're not worthy of the calling. Right like that there that's always the bad news that comes before the good news right like left to ourselves we we don't get it right we just look around the world like you can just take the top 5 headlines of any news like we don't get it right like left to ourselves we're we're evil <laughs> we just are so, so, so Paul's praying that God would take those concerns that they had and instead point them to their calling and then that he would make them worthy of that calling. You ever feel unworthy of something? Yeah, we've all felt that. Like, like I don't even feel worthy to be here. I think about John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming in the wilderness and, and John declared by God to be the greatest man who ever lived. Looks at Jesus coming and it says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The man, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Paul's praying that they would be worthy, that God would make them worthy of their calling. That they would know that because they are adopted into the family of God, that they are worthy of what he's called them to. Number two, the second thing that he prays is that God would give them the resolve to carry out that calling. Are you aware that it will take some resolve to carry out the calling that God has on your life? That not everything is easy? When you signed up to become a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian and we're going to ask you to sign up to become a Christian. I just want you to know that it's not easy. Like there's not, there's very little easy about life, right? Like everything takes intention. Everything takes resolve. But the beauty of what Paul's praying for them comes down to the third thing that he prays. Because most religions do those first two, right? Most religions say, you're not who you're supposed to be, and you need to be, and it's going to take some resolve. Like, that's what every religion has that claim. The difference is number three, right? Paul prays that God would give them the power to work out their faith. That the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, the difference is that he offers to come. He offers to come. He, he came in that first advent. 
But then when he ascended back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit who lives in you and through you. And that is the difference that it makes. And so Paul prays that. So Paul doesn't throw out a pleasantry. He specifically prays over their specific time that God would cause them to flourish in their calling, their resolve and their faith. Let me ask you a question. Are there people doing that for you? When you show up at school as a teacher, are there people praying that you would have the resolve to live out your calling because we actually believe that that is an assignment from God? That when you show up at the bank or when you show up at whatever your job is, the government office, the insurance agency, whatever it is, when you show up to parent your kids, when you show up at college, when you show up at high school, when you show up at middle school, that you are actually on mission from God, that he has a calling on your life and that he wants to work in you and through you to the people around you, that they too might taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you aware that what you do every day has eternal significance? And the thing that God offered to his people is that we would gather together, worship him, but that we would also pray. One of the things that you have is that the people around you right now, the people that you go to city group with starting February 5th, shameless plug, you should sign up. That every opportunity you have to be with God's people You have at your disposal the most powerful thing that's ever hit the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit in you, who you can pray together to, and he will actually make things happen. Why don't we do that? It's a lot of reasons, but I think most of it can be boiled down to a few things. We're either busy, which that's real, I get it. We forget also very real just forget like we're distracted we have a ton of things in our in our minds we we forget and if i don't write it down i forget <laughs> but then the third one because it's awkward because it's awkward for me to just roll up to you and be like i'm gonna pray for you brother i'm gonna pray for you sister you're like i don't even know you <laughs> One of those three things is typically why we don't pray for each other in our current cultural context. But it's to our detriment, is it not? That just because it might feel awkward, I wouldn't tap into the power of God that's available inside of each one of us. Like if you know the the Lord, like if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you can pray for me. And it will, it will make mountains move. Like we don't sing songs like I speak to the mountain. Like that's not just like, hey mountain, get out of here. Right? Like it's not what we're talking about, is it? We're talking about prayer. Like when you have a diagnosis or when you have loss or when you have whatever it is, like what we're actually saying is, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, invited all of us to step up to that circumstance and with the faith as small as a mustard seed, declare that it would move and it would cast itself into the sea. I don't think Jesus was actually talking about a mountain levitating off the ground and going into the ocean. What's he talking about? He's talking about your life. 
He was looking at real people going through real stuff, just like you and me. And saying God is interested in you and he's actually willing to work in your life. But we're too busy. We're forgetting. Or we just think it'll be awkward. And so we don't pray. Just listen to some of these things. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in James chapter 5, verse 13. He said, is anyone among you suffering? Yeah, like we could all raise our hand for something. So the answer is yes. What's the answer? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Anybody happy today? Come on. Anybody? It says let him praise. Good job. You passed. If you sat there silent, I was just going to leave. <laughs> Joking, kind of. Is anyone among you sick? Yeah, we could we could point to some sick people. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. This was New Testament. It's not some weird Old Testament thing. Like that, that people weird. They're in that tabernacle and the smelly stuff and No, no, this was New Testament, like Jesus already back in heaven stuff. Anoint him with oil. And the prayer of what? Faith. Will do what? Save the one who's sick. And the Lord will raise him up. It gets better. If if that sick person has forgiven sins, just because we prayed for them and anointed them in the name of the Lord, their sins will be forgiven. Oh, I don't know if I believe that. They don't fit into my neatly packed, you know, theological, like I repent and then he forgives because he was on the cross. Like, no, like the Bible's very honest about your life. Like sometimes you're just a sinner. And then you get sick and you're like, whoa, I don't even have a relationship with God. Can I borrow your faith? That's what's happening here. That's crazy. Like that's real stuff. Like, I have not been walking with the Lord, but I now am sick and I recognize that I need the Lord. Who can I turn to? Christians. This is what we do. This is what we do for each other. You're not walking with the Lord. Let us come anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and pray over you. And God's going to show up. He's not only going to do that. He's going to heal you and he's going to heal you. You tracking with me? Because this healing matters, but not nearly as much as this one. Right? We don't do regeneration because we want you to meet every Monday for the rest of your year because we want to take up your time. This is why we offer regeneration. Because we actually believe that if you commit every Monday to the work of the Lord in your life, that he will totally change your life. Give us a year. Crazy. He'll be forgiven. Verse 16. Therefore, like what, what do you do with that? Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And, and what? Pray for one another that you. Oh, it's not just for the other person. What's it say? That you can be healed. Does anybody in this room need healing today? Yeah, like every one of us. Why pray? Look, look at what it says. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You're like, but I'm not righteous, man. That's the beauty of the gospel. Neither am I. The Bible says no one is righteous. Not even one. That's why Jesus came. Right? 
That's what separates Christianity from every other religion on the face of the earth. That when the God of the universe who hung the stars, who made the oceans, who breathed all of those things into existence, also looking at you in your sin, stepped out of the splendors of heaven and came to earth and died on the cross. It's not just a silly story. It's reality because you and I needed a savior. And he came. And so to be righteous has nothing to do with what you bring to the table and everything that God brought to the table. Satan would love nothing more than for you to miss out on the wonder working power of God through prayer because you felt like it was awkward for somebody near you to pray over you. He would love nothing more than that for you to just be embarrassed and therefore miss out on the healing that he has for your life. He would love nothing more than for you to forget that that text is in the Bible because you're just busy. Here's the good news, though. It's not all dependent on you and me. That's the beauty of the whole deal. Paul, praying for another church, says this. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is a different church, by the way. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, because I'm sure of this. He's like, There's a lot of things I'm not sure about, but this is one thing I'm sure about. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God started a work in you and God will finish that work in you. But he's going to use the people sitting around you right now to do it. That's the beauty of the church. You aren't producing the power. We aren't producing the power. God is, but he chooses to do it through us. It's crazy. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me to participate in that power. So what's your plan? It's 2023. We're already a few weeks in. How are those goals going? How are your resolutions? Everybody still keeping them? Oh, wow. We tanked quick, folks. We're going to set some new ones today. Listen to this, Corey Tenboom. If you don't know her story, I've, I try to quote her often. Just amazing. World War II, you know, serving the Lord, saving people. It's an unbelievable story. You should do it. But I'm always amazed at the simplicity of the things she was saying in the midst of like hiding people from the Nazis. Like you, like if anybody could be distracted, <laughs> could be her, right? She wisely encourages us with these words. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. What's your plan? If that kind of wonder working power is available, what's your plan? I love that scripture where Jesus says, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. Because what you're really after is right here. It's with the people around you. It's not a great talk. It's not a great worship set. Those are great. And we work hard at those. But it's you. You are the church. 
You are. Not me, not the leaders. You are. And so what's your plan? God is inviting you to participate in prayer. And so we're slowly adding these things into our rhythms where we can pray. Some silence, which is sacred. Some intentional time with that 21 days of prayer book every morning. Sacred. But what about with each other? How will you pray? Some of you are so scared right now. You're like, he's going to make us pray. (laughs) He's going to make us pray for somebody near me. I am. If you're a guest, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm going to dive right into the awkward. Hopefully you came with somebody you know. But I actually believe that we're leaving on the table the most powerful thing that we as a church can offer each other is to pray. So I want to do this. I just I want to adjust the end of our service. So, Kevin, if you can come up and just play some music over us. I want to take three minutes and I just want you to grab somebody near you and ask them to pray for you. You don't got to tell them your darkest secret yet. We'll do that next week. (laughs) Joking. But maybe you want to. Because honestly, that that's where that's where we need to get to, because man, life is short. We don't you don't have time to mess around. But what I know as your pastor is that I look around and I know that there's things that you're going through. I know that there's things that I'm going through. And what I want you to know is that God has set up this thing called the church and it is a living, breathing organism because he lives in each one of you. If you're not a Christian today, I just want to invite you to the greatest thing that's ever happened to any of us. To follow Jesus, to willfully bow the knee and surrender to him as Lord. That's so unpopular these days, but it's so great. It's so liberating. It's so freeing to know that there is somebody that you can look to that is real, that is in your life. And the Bible says it's so simple that you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and you'll be saved. It's that simple and yet that hard, right? (laughs) Because that takes... You out of the driver's seat and puts him in and then you got to start to live the stuff he says. Like this one. You can do that simply in the quietness of your heart. Just between you and him.